Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding. Shavua Tov, and welcome back to Interesting Questions. We are here in the fifth parak of Pirkei Avot as we are about to get started, and we are going to do the first four Mishnayot together. There is a theme here at the beginning of uh, the fifth parak, which is that we're looking at things of ten, sets of ten, that were put together um, from the Torah by our rabbis, um, that's going to continue all the way through the eighth Mishnah, but we're just going to do the first four today, uh, and then we'll see that the numbering uh, and, and recognition of important numbers is going to continue beyond that within this parak. But like I said, we're going to start with those first four Mishnayot, so here we go. With ten utterances was the world created. Uma Talmud Lomar, and what is the... The, the Talmud coming to teach us about this. And wouldn't it have been possible to create with only one utterance? But it was done in order to exact punishment from those who are evil. Because they want to destroy the world. Which was created with ten utterances. And it's also in order to bestow reward upon the righteous, who sustain the world, that were created with ten utterances. Mishnah There were ten generations from Adam, the first human, until Noah. In order to show how much patience there was for Hashem. For all of those generations were constantly upsetting Hashem until He brought upon them the floodwaters. There were ten generations from Noah until Avraham in order to show how much patience Hashem had, that all of them were angering him constantly, until Avraham Avinu, Avraham our ancestor, came and was the reward of all of that. Final Mishnah, Mishnah Dalid for today. With ten gen- trials was Avraham our ancestor uh, given va'amad bechulam, and he withstood all of them. Lahodia, in order to make it known, kama chibato shel Avraham Avinu. How great was the love of Avraham Avinu! So, there's a lot of uh, interesting 
components here that we can discuss. I think I'll start with a recognition that it reminds me of the very first Rashi on Breshit, which talks about, right, in the Mishnah, in the very first Mishnah, it says, why did Hashem create the world with 10 utterances when it could have been just one utterance? And I want to suggest that, um, you know, the, the first Rashi talks about why do we start with Breshit at all? Why not just start with the mitzvot, right, which start actually in um, Shmot, with HaChodesh HaZelachem? And the answer is so that those within the world would understand that the world was created for B'nai Israel and for, um, for the land of Israel to be given to the Jewish people. And that no one could argue that we are not the reason why things are here. Um, that can be very challenging because um, I'm not sure how many people who are anti-Semites have learned the first Rashi in Chumash and, and go, oh, well, now I understand. In fact, I'd imagine it's none of them. Um, and so there are various explanations, though one of the ones I've heard recently and, and possibly like the most is the idea that it is not there for those who are challenged by us. It is there for us when we are challenged by others. And so here too, perhaps the idea that these 10 utterances that created the world, right, are not to let those who might deny it and do evil know that they are, um, that they are evil, but rather to recognize those and remind us, right, that Hashem created the world for us. There's a great, uh, a great story that talks about that uh, in each pocket, a person should have a, a saying. In one pocket, it should be "Bishvilini olam." For me, was the entire world created, and in the other one, it says "Afar ve'efer anochi." I am but dust of the earth. And a person should live their life between those two, those two uh, poles, right? That they are somewhere between the idea of being the sole reason that the world was created and the fact that, the, uh, that they are really nothing and will leave the earth at some point. Akiva, your thoughts on this? Avi, I have to say that I don't know how much I fully grab hold of the first Mishnah specifically, but I can say that what I was able to grab from the other three, or let's let's do just the the next two from from Beth and from Gimel, were the importance of patience and the importance of understanding that, you know, God. In this case, right, the comment is, is that God doesn't always say how displeased he is. He sits and he waits patiently. And he waits and he waits. And then maybe sometimes he's so disappointed that it seems to come out as an expression of extreme anger in the case of the Mabul. And in the other, it seems to be that he says, all right, uh, I'm waiting patiently. And finally, I, you know, there's, there's the one, uh, there's Avraham, who comes along and quenches that that fire 
and, and makes, their, makes the need appear and, and the understanding of, of what we were waiting for. I have to say that I think this is the case with many people. A lot of times, people don't necessarily say what's in their mind. And they don't always communicate the little frustrations. And I think this can certainly be an issue in, in, in relationships, right? Where all of a sudden, maybe one spouse just seems to have a complete blowout. And the other one says, well, I don't understand, what's the problem? So the question is, whose responsibility is it to communicate? Is it the person who was not doing something or doing something? Or is it the person who was getting frustrated and waited? This is a fine balance. And I think in most cases, just like, well, in all cases, actually, I think for relationships, it's twofold. It's both of them, right? So on the one hand, we need to understand that communication is key. And so if something is upsetting to someone, you have to talk about it. And you have to talk about it before it becomes a mobble. You have to talk about it so that it can get better. And at the same time, you have to be patient and you have to be understanding because it takes time. And so Right? We have the mabul that comes and, and Hashem says, hey, I'm getting rid of everybody except for you, Noah, because everybody's terrible and I'm starting over. And then Hashem sees, still, he makes promise, I'm not going to do this again, but he sees right away, you know what, even Noah isn't perfect. And there's a lot that we can go into on that, which we're not going to at this moment. But we see that he's... Maybe he starts to see, you know what, okay, so these people, these people that I made with free will aren't perfect. And so there's this expectation and there's this understanding that then comes, let me be patient and give time for change. And so we see the importance of both of those sides. If, if a Kadosh Baruch Hu can be patient with us to not get angry and explode right away and also be patient to see the change come, and to see the, the investment pay off, then we need to as well. <clears throat> and the only other piece would be going back to that communication piece of saying, you know, you have to have the conversation. You have to say, you don't wait the first nine times without saying, hey, this is upsetting to me. Because if you come out and you wait and you just have that explosion, then maybe nobody knows what they did wrong. And so I think there's two key pieces for here, the communication and also the importance of patience. The other thing that strikes me about those two Mishnayot uh, is the power of the individual. That here you have a situation where after 10 generations, right, one individual can make a significant difference. So if you're talking about the role that Noah plays in continuing life on the earth, or whether you're talking about Abraham as the first monotheist, right? Sometimes it just takes one individual to be the difference maker in terms of how an entire society or an entire world can view things. Um, and I think if we look even at more modern times, we can see some of those opportunities that have come up. It's, it may be 
a single individual at the right place at the right time. Um, oftentimes, I think we, we think of those people as being, quote-unquote, lucky or um, just having been in the right place. But I think it's oftentimes the result of a lot of hard work and uh, striving for things that eventually lead to it. And I, I think of whether you're talking about Rav Dovber Soloveitchik or whether you're talking about um, Steve Jobs, um, there are individuals who have the possibility and potential to change the world. And uh, in theory, that could be any one of us if we put our mind to it. And I think that takes us to the last Mishnah quite well, which is the idea that Avraham endured ten tests. And, you know, the question might be why? If Avraham was righteous, if Avraham was this leader, why should Avraham have to go through these ten tests? And I might suggest that the answer is those are, made, those are what made him who he was. In other words, only through our failures, only through our, our challenges, are we able to, to push through those and toughen the steel of who we are in a way that allows us to move on to what's next. Do you have what to say about that, Akiva? Yeah, I don't like that part. Um, and, and it's not about what you said, Avi. It's about the fact that I I don't know that I ever understood or will understand why Avraham was required to go through 10 different trials to see whether or not he was the man he was. He was. Uh, I mean, first of all, yes, we have free will, but we also know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows everything. So I don't, I don't think that there was necessary to have those 10 trials, as well as, you know, we talked about this a little bit in, in our first season, in the very beginning. Some of the trials that Avraham was put through weren't just Avraham who was put through them. And I think that when we consider the collateral damage that occurred from some of these trials I really have to say I don't I don't I don't agree I don't like it I think that <clears throat> we I think if we look at the Akedah for example Yitzchak we don't really talk so much about Yitzchak what what he must have gone through in that you know, we talk about the fact that Yitzchak was already a grown man, and so he was aware, and therefore he was also, you know, in on it, and, and the fact of what wonderful thing it created within Yitzchak as far as the value and the importance that he had. But we don't really consider the damage that that probably caused. I mean, can you... I, I don't think anyone can imagine the conversation after the fact. Right, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the, the walk back. But we do go straight into the fact that it killed his mother. 
And, and that's what our poskim suggests, is that when Sarah heard about the Akedah and not knowing that Yitzchak was spared, that killed her. And that's a huge cost. And we know how important Sarah was to our people. Not just, not just as our, our first of the Imaot, but the, the value that she had with, with her family, the necessity, right? The, the specialty of her tent did not return until Rivka. And that means something. So, so I just, I, I have to say, and when I look at that, and when I consider that, and I think about sometimes when we, when we think about the trials and the tribulations that we go through as people, there are ones that have value, and that I agree, there are ones that test our mettle and make sure that we are ready and prepared and thicken our skin and prepare us to do battle with whatever life throws at us. But then there are those that damage us and cause some... I don't want to say irreparable damage, but certainly significant experiences that are hard to overcome and that we don't necessarily overcome. Maybe we process through them, sometimes with a lot of assistance through therapy and treatments, but I think that when we look at the 10 trials that Avraham went through and was put through, I don't know that I'm a fan um, and so the piece that I would say, obviously I've talked about what I, what I don't particularly care for about this mission, but it doesn't really say anything about maybe what we can learn from it. But I think maybe it's important for us to remember that Abraham Avinu, while, yes, I agree, maybe he could have been anyone, at the same time he wasn't. And I think that we can be expected to live up to that potential, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that we are or could ever be people. And I think that's important when we get into the idea of role models. Role models can help guide us. Role models can help give us a gauge and help us see what we would like to do and how we would like to be. But we cannot be them. And knowing that is probably invaluable. And so maybe that's what this mission teaches us. Maybe that this mission teaches us that Avraham Avinu, who was arguably one of the most one of the most important uh, people in not just our people's lives, but other people as well. And while we can certainly strive to be trusting, have emuna, have bitachon, have ha- live up to have the faith and the understanding. I think that what we need to learn from this is that we are not Avraham Avinu. And we need to be understanding of ourselves that we are human and we will make mistakes and we will grow. And we don't need to be inhuman. And not that Avraham Avinu was inhuman, but maybe the word was not inhuman, but superhuman. Because I do think that in many ways we have the idea of our avot as being superhuman in some ways.
So I think the question for around the Shabbos table goes to what you just directly spoke about, Akiva, which is who are our role models? Who is your role model? And what is it in particular that you appreciate about them and want to try and model, while at the same time recognizing that they are human beings and therefore flawed? And you don't have to go as so far as to say what do you not want to emulate about them, but to recognize that there may be things about them that you don't want to emulate. 